You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Matthew 26, 30-35 says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Matthew 26, 69 to 75 says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And he said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. There's something quite remarkable about the character of Peter. Of all the 12 disciples, uh, Peter, also known as Simon Peter, is the one we know the best, the one who just kind of jumps off the page. He's passionate, open, instinctive, Honest. What you see is what you get with Peter. Uh, He strikes you as someone who just threw himself into life. You get that impression from the very first time he meets Jesus. Matthew 4 says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, we're told, they left their nets and followed him. Just like that, just goes for it. He jumps at it. We do get a little bit more detail in Luke's account in Luke five. It seems to be the same incident. Uh, Peter is on the on the shore on the sea trying to fish. It's been a long and fruitless night, and then Jesus, this man, comes along the beach. Peter doesn't know him at this point, but this man calls out, "Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch." Simon answered, no doubt with a sense of frustration. Master, we toiled all night all and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And of course, they have this extraordinary catch of fish. It's a miracle. And Peter immediately recognises it. And who made it possible? Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He senses in that moment straight away, the first time he's met him, the significance, the holiness, the difference, the wonder of this Jesus. And so Peter follows. Soon after, uh, Jesus gave him a new name, a second name. He was born Simon. Now he'll be known as Simon Peter. The name Peter or Cephas or Cephas means rock. 
And Jesus is saying, I want you to be someone who is strong, like a boulder, like a, a great rock. And from that point on, Peter was part of the 12 and always front and centre. It's normally Peter who's speaking. He's always the first one to speak. He's that kid in class that asks the question that no one else is willing to ask. And yet we're so grateful that there's someone willing to put their hand up because it's through these questions, through the, the questions that Peter asks, that our own questions are answered. And yet sometimes this boldness that Peter has seems to backfire on him. It makes him look foolish, just like in Matthew 14 when Jesus comes walking across the water and Peter jumps in to try and do the same and then his faith fails and he starts to sink. But, hey, at least he got out of the boat. See, there's something remarkable about this Peter. I think sometimes we kind of dismiss him. We kind of see him as just an impetuous hot-blooded kind of person as perhaps he's a bit simple, a bit unsophisticated. But Jesus never saw him that way. You see, it was Peter who had some of the greatest insights into who Jesus was. It was Peter, among all of the disciples, who was the first to acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. You might remember that God's people were under the rule of the Romans and they were looking for this Messiah who would come and rescue them someone who would overthrow their enemies and make them great, lift them up. And so midway through their ministry in Matthew 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says to them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What are people saying about me? The disciples report back all the speculation, or some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're all hesitant. They're unsure. They don't want to stick their neck out. And so Jesus presses, but, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the hero, the one that we are looking for. And Jesus commends him. You see, Peter had watched Jesus and discerned who he was. He believed it and he was willing to stake his whole life on it. Elsewhere in John 6, uh, there's a period where uh, all the people kind of following Jesus, there were kind of hundreds who were thousands even who were coming and listening to his sermons and his speaking and a bunch of them leave because they're offended by what Jesus has to say. And so Jesus turns to his disciples, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We know who you are. We're not going anywhere. We're all in. And that's what makes his denial and his desertion of Jesus so heartbreaking. It comes in three parts. The first denial comes in the courtyard of the house of the high priest. Caiaphas. Jesus had been arrested on the Mount of Olives and all his disciples had fled. No doubt that included Peter, but somehow he's kind of gathered himself. He's got himself together and now he's followed on with Jesus and he's, he's crept into the high priest's uh, courtyard and he's watching just close by to see what happens. A servant girl comes up to him. You also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you mean. It's a subtle denial. He's really just pleading ignorance. I, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. 
It gets worse. It's weak here. And you need to notice who he's speaking to here. It's a servant girl. In that culture, that means she had no power, no status. And so she, had, she shouldn't have been intimidating to him at all. And yet already he's starting to question. He's starting to doubt. He's starting to distance himself from Jesus. Sensing danger, he retreats from the courtyard to the edge of the property, to the gate, but again he's accosted. When he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. The situation is getting worse. Uh, The first girl had spoken to him directly, but now this one seems to be speaking to an audience. And Peter denies this with an oath, I do not know the man. It's telling that he uses an oath. So often when we're trying to prove our reliability, we, use, we, we swear about it, we, we, we make these oaths to try and impress other people, but it's just a, a sure sign that we can't be trusted. But Peter's panicking and soon he goes further. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them for your accent betrays you. Peter was from Galilee, you see, and The Galileans had distinctive accents. They were kind of country bumpkins and everyone could recognise them and now his accent betrays him. And so he says, I do not know the man and this time he kind of weaponises his denial. He begins to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. He's basically saying, God, let me be judged if I'm lying here. And then the moment. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. It is a a tragic scene, so sad and so disappointing. Jesus had, of course, told Peter, warned Peter, that he would deny him, that there would be a moment on this night where he would be tempted to deny him, and he would. Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night, he said to the disciples. For it is written, I will strike the sheep and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Peter is just horrified by this and he protests and, and assures Jesus of his courage. Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He says elsewhere, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But when the moment came and the pressure bore down, he crumbled. I think you can see in his denials a kind of reverse discipleship. You think about it, up to now for the last three years, Jesus has been teaching his disciples, trying to get them to the point where they acknowledge and understand who Jesus is and commit themselves to that. And it seemed like Peter had done that. He had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. He wasn't going anywhere else. So I'll follow you no matter what. I'm all in, Jesus. But now he reverses all of that. I do not know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Christ, he's, I don't know this person. He's rejected Jesus. And see how it happens so quickly and so easily under such little pressure in one sense. One writer says, when Peter protested earlier that he would never deny Jesus, he may have had in mind never denying Jesus before a mob or never denying Jesus before a great court like the Sanhedrin or in some comparably heroic setting. He never thought of a trial in trivial circumstances. 
for example, before a servant girl. But don't most of our tests of discipleship occur in such unlikely venues? And how it must have wounded Jesus. In Luke's account, we're told that Jesus turned and looked at Peter when the rooster crowed, which means that Jesus was close enough to see it all happen. He was close enough to hear the denials of his disciple. Just imagine what that was like for Jesus. Clarence McCartney writes, if you would get an understanding of the sadness of sin, behold the look in the face of Jesus as he turns to look upon Peter when he had denied him for the third time. Charles Spurgeon writes, Surely this must have cut Jesus to the quick. I cannot imagine that any of the tortures that he endured from his enemies could have caused him so much pain as this wicked denial by one of his closest friends. How did it happen? How did Peter fall so fast, so fast, so completely? Part of it is that he was so confident in himself so sure of himself, so sure of his abilities and his courage and his commitment. Spurgeon again writes, perhaps the chief reason for Peter's denial of his Lord was his confidence in himself. If Peter had felt himself to be weaker, he would really have been stronger. If he'd been more aware of his own susceptibility, he would have been more on guard. And then underneath this, he discovers that actually He's a coward. He promised his friend that he would be there. I'll lay down my life for you. But ultimately he discovers he's not able to do that. And yet it's not just as as simple as just saying it's cowardice because there's actually something more complicated here. Uh, See, just hours before this, I think we see the courage of Peter On the Mount of Olives, when Judas and the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus, we're told that Peter drew out a sword, cut off the ear of one of the high priest's uh, workers. He was courageous in that moment. He was willing to fight, willing even to die, I think. So what happened to that courage? Where did it go? How did he lose it? I think the answer is in what Jesus says next. After Peter slashes with his sword, Jesus calmly corrects him and says, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword shall will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus is saying, I know what's happening here and I'm okay with it. I'm not surprised by this. I will submit to this because this is what the scriptures have said must happen. And in this moment, Peter finally grasps what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. You see, Peter believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but his picture of what the Messiah was like was so different, so exalted. Uh, like many of the uh, of his friends, he probably was reading some of the other books that were written at this time. 
Books like the Book of Enoch, which speaks of the Messiah as the hope of those whose hearts are troubled. All who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship before him, shall bless and glorify him and sing praises to the name of the Lord of Spirits. That's the picture that Peter had in his mind, this great conquering warrior, this mighty king who would arise and throw down all of their enemies and lift them all up and make them great. That's what Peter meant. And when he said, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, that's what Peter had in his mind. But all along, Jesus has tried to correct him, tried to help him understand this properly. So this is... Uh, Jesus had warned Peter that he would have to die. He'd warned the disciples that this was all part of God's plan. Multiple times he says this in Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He resists this. He He can't understand what Jesus is talking about. You're you're the Christ. You don't have to die. You'll remember Jesus' response. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. That contrast. Peter has in mind the things of this world, of power and glory and comfort and wealth. But Jesus has his mind on the things of God. He is powerful, but he will give up that power. He will use that power to save us, to save us from our sins. And it's here in this moment in the garden that Peter finally understands what Jesus is talking about. Jesus has come as the Messiah, not to overthrow his enemies with a sword, but with a cross to take our sin. Peter was willing to die as a martyr for a great cause, to die as a warrior, but he's not willing to die for a saviour who is accepting death. And so he runs away. So Peter wasn't there as Jesus suffered. He wasn't there as the Jewish authorities lied and cheated, twisting the law to get their man. Peter wasn't there on that dark night as the Roman soldiers cursed him and mocked him, scourged him and tormented him. Peter wasn't there the next day as Jesus trudged through the streets of Jerusalem and up the hill to Golgotha, forced to carry his cross. Jesus wasn't, uh, Peter wasn't there as they nailed Jesus to that cross and taunted him as he wilted. Peter wasn't there as the sky blackened and Jesus gave up his spirit. Peter wasn't there because he had denied Christ. It is a dreadful unspeakable sin, a lack of nerve, a lack of courage, a lack of basic friendship. It's an act of treachery and yet even as, because surely we feel something of the same spirit within ourselves. 
You see, don't we deny Christ too? Sometimes it's obvious. Perhaps someone challenges you about faith and you back down. You say, oh, I'm not a Christian, I'm not, in, I'm not into that because you want to get along, you want to fly under the radar, you're anxious about sticking out. Often it's more subtle than that. It might be in what we say. We speak disrespectfully of Jesus perhaps because everyone else is. Often it's in what we allow. You're in the office, everyone's paying out Jesus and you join in laughing along so that people won't see you as any different. You're with your friends at the footy club or on a night on the town and they ask you what you think about a certain moral issue and you know what Jesus has to say about it, what the Bible has to say about it, but you don't speak up. You don't want to be judged. Many of us deny Jesus by turning away from him when life gets hard. This is similar to Peter's mistake. He followed Jesus because he thought Jesus could make life more comfortable. He could give Peter could find power and wealth, prosperity with Jesus. Perhaps like Peter, we come to Christ for the same things. We follow him because we think he is a king who can make us great. But then when we realise the truth that following a crucified saviour means taking up our cross, we deny him. At the first sign of opposition or difficulty, we desert him. Or perhaps we just deny him with our lives. We say we are his people, Christians, Christ people, but our lives don't match up with that. We're selfish where he was generous. We're resentful where he was gracious. We're cruel where he was patient and forgiving. We read the story of Peter and it's hard to judge him. We feel sadness and a kind of dread because we see ourselves in him. We are like Peter. When Peter came to himself and his conscience awakened, he wept bitterly. One writer says, His was the sorrow of a man who had done the very thing he hated and left undone the good he would have done. And at that point, he must have wondered if it was possible for him to be forgiven, if God could ever accept him. I mean, Jesus had made quite explicit the warning in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's what Peter had done. He had denied Christ. So surely Christ would now deny him. That's what we face too. I mean, if we have denied Christ, won't he deny us? But here is the wonder, the wonder at the heart of Good Friday. Jesus said to Peter in the garden, this must happen so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. And those scriptures speak of how Jesus would die for our sin. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. 
You see, the way that Jesus would be the Messiah, the great hero, would be to take our sin and die for it. Our sin is so serious that there must be a consequence. Justice demands that there is God's wrath. He must do this. But the wonder of Jesus is that he takes that wrath for us. He carries our sin and deals with it. He takes the punishment that we deserve so that we can be freed. We can be forgiven. But understand what Jesus had to go through for that. I'm always haunted by the words that Jesus said on the cross as his life was coming to an end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, ultimately, Jesus had to be forsaken by his father. The ultimate punishment for sin is separation from God. So when Jesus took on our sin, he had to experience in some profound way separation from God. Just think about it. He had been betrayed by Judas. He'd been deserted by the disciples. He'd been denied by one of his best friends, Peter. All of those things were so horrible, and yet the hardest thing of all was to be forsaken by his father. But in this moment, by doing that, he was able to deal with our sin and pay for it in taking the wrath of God that we deserve we can find forgiveness. Here's the wonder here. Peter was not willing to die for this kind of a saviour, but thankfully this saviour was willing to die for that kind of person. He's willing to die for us who denied him. We're going to see on Sunday how Peter discovered this for himself and how he found reconciliation with Christ and started a new life with Christ. And the experience completely transforms Peter. And we know this because we hear the story of the denial. You see, how do we know that Peter denied Christ? The other disciples weren't there. We know because Peter told us. It's generally thought that the Gospel of Mark, the first and oldest biography of Jesus, was really taken from Peter's sermons. And so when Mark tells us about the denial, we know that Peter has told him this. That's very unusual. History, they say, is written by the winners, and the winners don't talk about their losses. They make themselves look good. So why does Peter include this? Well, he includes his denial because he wants us to know how amazing God's forgiveness and grace is. William Barclay writes, Peter concealed nothing, for he wished to show the lengths to which the forgiving love and the recreating grace of Christ had gone for him. So far from suppressing this story, Peter made it an essential part of his gospel, and Peter did so for the very best of reasons. Every time he told the story, Peter could say, this is the way that, that this Jesus can forgive. 
He forgave me when I failed him in his bitterest hour of need. That is what Jesus can do. He took me, Peter, the coward, and used even me. So this morning, Peter would want you to know the forgiveness of God. Peter, the one who denied Christ, wants you to know that even when you deny him, God is willing to forgive. No one is out of reach of God's grace. This is the glorious truth of Easter. We are flawed, we are sinful, we are inconsistent, we are unreliable. Sometimes we're treacherous, but God loves us anyway. We deserve judgment, but Jesus chose to take that judgment on himself. Jesus died for sinners like Peter, for sinners like me. Do you hear this? Perhaps like Peter, you've denied Christ and you've wept bitterly. You've wept with self-regret. Why am I like this? How could I do that? You've wept and, and wished that you could do things differently. And maybe you're here because you think, oh, if only I can find hope. Perhaps this is the first time you've come back to church. You've been wandering far away from God. You know that you've denied him and you can't imagine that he would receive you back. Hear this story today. Jesus knows your sin and he's willing to forgive it. You may have wandered far away, but he has come after you and he wants to bring you home. This is the message of Peter, that there is forgiveness if we just ask for it. You see, like Peter, we so often try to prove ourselves to God. So often when I see Peter in the Gospels, it feels like he's, he's desperately trying to impress Jesus, prove his commitment, help Jesus to see just how totally locked in he is. But Jesus can see his failings as well. And still he loves us. We don't have to prove ourselves to him. He knows we will fall, but he will pick us up. He knows we will sin again and again, but he will forgive us. He knows we will deny him with our words, with our actions, with our lives, but he will never let us go. Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love that God gives, he never takes back. J. Glenn Owen writes, I believe that the story of the transformation of Peter is one of the great epics of history. It's a remarkable story made all the more remarkable because Peter represents all of us, impetuous, impulsive, unstable. He's so human and so obviously made of the same stuff as we are that his character symbolises ours. We all see ourselves in him at some point. For this reason, we cannot help but take courage as we see how the Lord teaches and transforms him. We learn what the grace of God can do for us too. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you on this day, this Good Friday, and recognise what it cost to make it Good Friday. We, like Peter, deny you. 
with our lives, with our words. We hide our faith. We're ashamed of our faith. We don't like sticking out. We don't want people to treat us differently. Ultimately, Lord, we are denying you, the one who deserves all glory and honour. Forgive us for that. Thank you that you do forgive us. And we see that in the life of Peter, a man who was so confident, so courageous, he thought, but then crumbled. Thank you, though, that even though he could not die for you, you were willing to die for him and for us. Please help us to receive this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.